Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Oh my God. So since I saw you last, Uh well, well, oh yeah, I got to come get a skin witch treatment. We got to have like physical contact for like over an hour, like an hour and a half. Uh huh. And I just silently wept. Oh, it was, it was glorious. Um, but you know, we also have a very, very pregnant friend, Mm -hmm. um, our buddy, Julia Rossi, who's been on the show and, uh, she wanted to go to the beach before they closed down for the 4th of July and also before her <laughs> impending birth. The beach know. was having a going out of business sale. Exactly. It was like <laughs> first and last call for the beach, everybody. Uh, so she hasn't been away from her husband all quarantine and he didn't want to go to the beach. And so this was like her first time like leaving and he was really nervous because it's like his super preggers wife and we're hitting the road. And, you know, it's just like, we know we're good. We know we're doing all the protocol. Like, as a joke, you know, we took a picture of us on the beach in bikinis wearing gas masks and face shields and, like, sun hats. And so just, hot. Like, it was really hot. It's definitely some form of fetish out there for, like, <laughs> steep steampunk or something like that. Fall, fallout bikini wear. Totally, totally. So, you know, it's more that he was like, oh, I hope there aren't weirdos who are going to, you know, like take my wife's mask off and cough in her face because people are doing that sort of stuff right now. So like all is great. And I'm like, all right, I'm a good friend. I'm responsible. I'm looking out for her like she's my wife, you know, and we're driving back and I'm going to hand Julia my phone to be responsible to be like, will you pick out some music, please? Like, I'm not going to do my normal thing where I sort of look at my music and I shouldn't, you know, sure, sure. And right in that moment, I look ahead, Andrea, and then I'm just like, uh, oh, on the 405, I saw this sedan or some sort of car at like 80 miles per hour just plow into the divider in our side of traffic. So then you're like, so shit, like something's going on. This is bad. Keep an eye on it. We all have to slow down. Tap those brakes. Tap those brakes. brakes. Tap, 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 tap. (laughs) But that wasn't where it ended. It slammed so hard into the divider that it then ricocheted backward toward us driving to it like (gasps) flipping in the air and landed upside down and like all the parts exploded and I'm like Julia no you know just because I'm like no like I must get the birth vessel home safely (laughs) I mean you know it was so out of control and this car like screeches like by the time we all pull off it's like 20 feet away from us. Holy how shit. How it landed. And now I'm like, okay, okay. It didn't hit another car. We wow. all stopped in lucky. time. So lucky it didn't it's hit another car. so insane. So then my next thing was just like, Julia, don't look. Don't traumatize the babe, you know? And so she was like, I'm going to call 911. Where are we? I'm like, I don't know. We're on the rich side of the 405 right. where the Kardashians live. And so then I'm like, just don't look, don't look. And then I'm like, Brooke, don't look, don't look. And the dude gets out of the car stands up and like in an annoyed fashion like wow this again like went and looks for his work bag which is on the highway a couple feet away and goes and like grabs it like god damn there's my bag and then is just like standing there like annoyed like yeah go around yeah 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 i exploded my car go around and everyone is just like what the fuck this Whoa. guy is standing probably, maybe maybe he was just in shock you know he had maybe he was just like shock. But I got to say, this is the chance you take when the beach you decide to go to is named 
Point Doom. <laughs> Well, you guys, welcome to Side Work Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Wallace. I'm your other host, Brooke Van Poplin, who has learned her lesson to stop leaving the house during a pandemic. <laughs> Just don't go out there, people. Just don't Just do it. Quit, quit carting around pregnant, ladies. Uh, no, no. Everything was fine. But of course, something like that happened. What a fucking... Well, I also think people are on top of this, you know, quarantine. Like, people just aren't handling themselves very well. And it's totally understandable. But then take all that wild energy. And then people haven't been driving on the regs either. People are also driving just like crazy. I mean, you just hear, like, drag racing happening at all times. People are, like, weaving in and out of traffic. I'm even, like... Just me getting on the highway, being on the five yesterday, I was just kind of like, I got it. It's fine. I was a little hungover, as you knew, but I was just like, people are fucking idiots right now. And I think that's because this is just my, and it's been my opinion for a while now, that all the idiots... That maybe don't want to wear masks on the regular. That maybe they're just they're just like out. They're just like we're free. We're free. Everything's for us now. Like <laughs> let the idiots rule the world. You're dumb. And there's like definitely a little anxiety happening because I really do stay so close to my neighborhood, mm-hmm. and that you know going like an hour away to the to the coast it was just like whoa i'm really out here man what are we even doing out here guys <laughs> it is a lot and then you know in the beginning too it was just like you know our mayor was like don't go more than a, f- a half mile radius outside your house you know it's just little, i know do like, you like my guard that's a good garcetti impression that's he sounds just He's like, like you guys everybody should wear face coverings <laughs> And then I'll, and then again he'll say it in Spanish and I just wish I could say that in Spanish but it still sounds like this. <laughs> That's again spot on. I was but I was like was that Newsom or Garcetti? No, no, this is it's Eric. Eric Garcetti. <laughs> Eric Garcetti, Mayor Garcetti spaghetti. The face of the pandemic in Los Angeles. Oh, the old the old spaghetti. <laughs> So it was a really cool it was like burn. So Brooke. specific. We can burn other mayors. You know, maybe we should just do our research and just burn a mayor a week. Okay, yeah, that was that. Let's. That's part one of sick burn against but it just a mayor. Be like, hey, Mayor Garcetti, um, maybe you need to go to Walgreens or CVS because to get some aloe because you just got burned. Ooh. <laughs> we are so excited if you have just tuned in and found out about our podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are so proud to be part of the Last Podcast Network family. Yes. So y'all do us a favor if you can. We'll just get this out of the way. Top of show. Please, if you're enjoying it, subscribe to us. uh, Rate and review. Like all the things. Tell us, tell us, tell us what you think we're doing that's fun. We like all that stuff. We We like hearing what you have to say. Um, Also, there's also so many other fun shows on Last Podcast Network if you haven't checked them out. If you're a longtime listener of us and don't know about Last Podcast Network, it's a two-way street. They have all sorts of fun shows you can check out. So definitely go listen for, you know, like page seven is like fun, like pop culture, celeb, like shit talking. It's so funny. Uh, If you like politics, there's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat. And then, of course, like last podcast on the left is just like the best podcast ever of all things macabre and supernatural. So definitely that's our little plug. They don't even ask us to do this. We're just good people. We're just doing it. Paying it forward. (laughs) Um, And you guys excited to announce we are going to start a Patreon. Yeah. Right. So if you have seen on our platform and website that there's a little place to donate, don't do it. Hold off. Um, because what we want to do is for a very nominal price, literally, you'll see. You're going to laugh at how little we're going to ask. Um, you will get additional fun content from us, uh, which we are working on as we speak. So just keep your eyes peeled. Uh, we want it to be so that if you support this podcast, you get more bang for your buck. Absolutely. We're very excited to do it. And there might be a little bit of merch coming out in the future. Too. Yes. I have dedicated this time in quarantine to finally get working on some merch for y'all. I'm, so. I'm super excited about the merch, guys. Me too. All right, we well, guys, um, I think it's time for some headlines. Let's do it. 
All right, guys. First headline coming to you from Eater, as always, because they fucking kill it. This is out of Eater, Seattle. So this is saying um, there is a Filipino coffee shop called Hood Famous Cafe and Bar in the Chinatown International District in Seattle. Um, So basically what they're doing, owners, managers, want to have a frank discussion with their staff about handling potential conflicts, specifically in a neighborhood that's downtown where Mm -hmm. people might be experiencing housing insecurity, uh, mental health issues, or even presenting as Mm -hmm. being um, housing insecure. So this is basically like a a first solution to be like, let's not call the cops, right? Right, right. Oftentimes, um, folks like this, like, will will seek out shelter in restaurants, especially coffee shops, which I know we've talked about in the past, which I know everybody's experienced in downtown areas. Like, people are just like, well, this bathroom is my home now, and this is where I yes. live. You know, it's, it's just... Um, so what Hood Famous is looking to do is find a different solution um, that would keep customers and employees safe and everybody empathetic and understanding that this is the neighborhood and this is what's common. So what they're wanting to do is basically bring in a social worker, uh, specifically one who had 10 years experience with drug mm-hmm. and alcohol counseling, and basically to talk about the best practices practices to de-escalate conflict um and part of that training involves confronting your own racial and social biases right you have to fucking break that down once that's dissolved and you say where is this person coming from what is their walk in life how can i help you instead of being like ew gross get out so you know they're not asking um with the training the social workers like saying like you know baristas shouldn't be crisis responders but they should be able to be a bridge connecting folks right. like this to uh, behavioral health specialists, you know, and social workers who then can like, we could put them on the path to like get the help that they need. This is fucking awesome, Brooke. It's great because we are, you know, I posted this on our Instagram and this was like a nurse was protesting saying like, you know, nurses often have to uh, go up against people who are intoxicated you know, maybe mentally ill and fighting back. And they're like, we have oh, our moms did for sure. Our you know? moms did, you know, and like, like I managed to get every single one of them under control without killing anybody. And I immediately was like, yeah, hello. Also restaurant workers, baristas. We are often sort of the first um, point of contact because people who are living in the street, maybe having, uh, you know, mental and emotional problems, just instability in their life coffee shops and restaurants are just places where they can touch down use a bathroom maybe they scrape together enough money to get a cup of coffee you know and you're you are often interacting a lot and I had to deal with very mentally unwell people who came into my coffee shop on the rags and as much as you had a relationship with them right yes but you also I think in the back of your head we've all kind of been like like will there be a day when this doesn't go like as smoothly as it as it has today and how can I prevent that from happening yeah so well right and it's so it's like and and i think one of the big things you know just in general is like the cops never got called on this guy michael because we knew him and knew how to handle him when we knew he wasn't a threat but then there's also the other side of like he was scaring customers and you can't stop a customer from maybe calling the police you know on this person and so i wish from back in the day that we could have gotten michael the resources he needed because the truth is um a uh what are they called like i don't want to say like a mental home but you know what i mean like a housing situation yeah, like like, i don't want to say halfway house either but like it's sort of like, like that a- but basically chicago lost all of its funding to give these people the resources and help they needed so mm-hmm. everyone was out on the streets in chicago totally. i remember and- that and i yeah i totally remember that and then you do have people do kind of stick to certain neighborhoods so again like you were saying you just you have the same people you see every day, just yes. like your regulars. They are your regulars. They you know? are. They are part of your neighborhood. Well, right, because you know when you've got someone like like my customer Michael. Some days he was not agitated, and he could yeah. come in and just get a cup of coffee, and you're like, great. And then other days he was, you know, he he was having a bad day, and yeah, he sure. was very tough to deal with. Um, but I tried my best to have compassion and treat him like a person. Totally. But I could have used so much more training. Right. That's the thing. So, right. um, you know, they also mentioned, and I've seen this uh, organization before, which is Crisis Connections. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a crisis line, and we will certainly post that um, for people to see. But it's a 24-hour, 7-call center that can help people 
get connected with social workers and case managers and counselors. You know, you can call on someone else's behalf or you can say, here's a number for you to call. Um, But I think what we're coming down to is it like wow what a what an amazing thing for uh neighborhood restaurants bars coffee shops eateries like sandwich places to libraries have this kind of mm-hmm. training exactly to be able to de-escalate situations and almost like it's like they're doing their own defunding of the police at the same time because it's like you know you're just taking the possibility out of the equation that this might end in violence mm-hmm. or someone who might be you know might be having arrested. a mental break exactly. or might be presenting to be um, insecure, who's housing insecure, um, might could end up in fucking jail. Who knows? Right. When, and then, when, we, then they just need someone to help them. So as we've been learning, um, going to jail for next to nothing is so hard to get out in front of when you then are trying to go back out and yeah. get jobs. And so it's just like, like, let's keep the police out of it when possible and keep people out of jail. Um, and one of the lines, which as we're just learning more and more, one of the lines in this article just says there is an over-reliance on policing to solve many non-life-threatening matters. And that's what the whole idea around defund the police really is. Mm -hmm. When people don't get it, it's that they don't need to come handle non-life-threatening matters. They really don't. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine if if your manager was like, like really good at DS like escalating situations like to this level. Can you imagine having that manager? They would just be like, and the manager just like, where's my fucking manager when all this is happening? And they're like, oh hey, I was just in the back. What did what happened while I was gone? And I don't know. Oh, not 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 to like not all managers are like that. But I'm just saying collectively, it would be amazing if like this is where we went moving forward in the future. So anyway, that's 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 my thing that's my interesting headline. way mm-hmm. to go seattle yeah. always super progressive coming up with great ideas that we can share and all take it on ourselves too to even like look up a little bit of de-escalation and familiarizing yourself so like if your restaurant's not going to do it arm yourself with that knowledge yes you could save a life Uh, I think we've got a COVID-related piece of Well, okay, I feel like I don't even need to read the words in this article because this can also be filed under no doy. This is a a, a doy. Yeah, we're just, you know, anyway, please go ahead, Brooke. And so everybody can doy along with us. Just doy with us. Okay, so a lot of you have had your bars closed the fuck back down. Y'all. And like, no doy. Mm-hmm. Um... <laughs> This is never, I've never had a more impassioned no doy. Okay, like hundreds of scientists are urging the World Health Organization to take the airborne transmission of coronavirus seriously Mm -hmm. in in indoor, poorly ventilated, talky talky because I'm drunky drunky Mm -hmm. situations. It does create basically a fog of coronavirus <laughs> that you can walk through like the way you mist perfume into the air and yes. get it on your person. You can get it that way. It's not just the droplets. Let's please, please get real. Yeah. No fucking doy, you guys. <laughs> it makes so much sense to me. I I think the super spreader events were hands down church and bars and restaurants all the way anyone who was inside without their maw covered was doing it and as much as yes our our politicians and our leaders in our community said yep we're in phase three what the fuck is going on with the world health organization i i i i, I, I why mean, won't like like a whose pocket are they in good oh, pun boy. i mean i think everybody's not doing great at it as far <laughs> as the higher ups you know it's i don't want to say just who it's not just who it's a lot of fucking people all together like not making decisions and just being like who also who cares obviously it's airborne obviously you know god forbid there was like some sort of like uh choir brunch <laughs> <laughs> But there probably was like over the 4th of July. But there was also like an indoor swim up pool bar party like in Atlanta. (laughs) 
that like with and, like, a, with a with an entire band playing with a fifth with a, the a gay man's chorus came in and sang. Everyone was unmasked. Like the, I'm just thinking of like the best slash horse case scenarios. Like what's the best case scenario? Uh, swim up bar indoor event fourth of july weekend with the gay man's chorus i'm flashing in at a pandemic no no but like yeah it's like slash yelling contest who can shout the loudest well that's what happens at bars after a few drinks oh my you're just you and i have been many a night whereas we keep drinking we're basically just screaming in each other's faces by the end of the night yep we were just splattering, screaming, and spreading. In the olden days, that's just called friendship and love, you know? <laughs> now, it's like second-degree murder. You're yeah. ruining lives. So, you guys, this makes me so sad because, obviously, we want y'all to have your bar jobs, but you're going you're gonna to catch the COVID. I know. And everyone else in there is just spreading it left and right, and... It really, really sucks. So all I know is like we've mentioned our friend Tom and his bar, The Fable, and whoever else support any of your local bars who are able to do curbside and send you out the door, pass up the liquor store if you're going to drink at home and go and try and buy out the door from a local bar if they're offering. Yeah. See if your city is making like pre-made cocktails. We've talked mm -hmm. about that before. A lot of people have come on as guests and listeners telling us about the delicious overly boozed cocktails they sell in jugs. Right? On the side yeah. of the road for you. What a but, fun uh, thing. Yeah. Bars bars are not going to be back for a bit. And it's yeah. heartbreaking, but it's also really necessary. I mean, I was I got off work and I work right in Los Feliz. And like mm -hmm. even walking out and, you know, outdoor alfresco dining is still available. Little Dom's was fucking packed. I don't and, get it. I mean, outside. And I was even that. And look, I know things are spaced and I know everybody's complying to like what it was. But I was just like. What is happening? Like I personally, all I want to do is go to a restaurant and a bar and and like give my money, all my money to these people, like all the servers, all the bartenders, and I I just can't. But not not yet, not yet. Just keep uh, keep grabbing that pickup and any batch cocktails that they can send out the door. We got to keep our workers safe. Oh boy, you guys. Thanks as always for writing into us. You know what time it is. Oh, time it for is some server submitted stories. Okay, this one is from Izzy. She says, Hey guys, huge fan of the podcast and fellow service industry veteran here. I've been wanting to submit a story for a while, but it's taken me a while to work up the courage. Anyway, Karens are a hot topic right now. Yes, they are. So it reminded me of a story that has haunted me for years. Have you ever wondered what the male version of a Karen is? Well, don't worry. I'll tell you. And, you know, we've discussed. We think it's like a, okay, Gary... Sure Rick. I like a Dick. I like a Ken. Yeah. I like Richard. A, yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyways. So she's going to let us know, though. I've worked in the restaurant industry off and on for about eight years. My first big time serving job was at a small country club in Western North Carolina. The demographic at most country clubs is old, white, rich and entitled, which is the breeding ground for the worst kind of Karen, I think. I was a 17-year-old high school student when I got this job. Wow. Because I was 17, I wasn't legally allowed to serve alcohol yet, but they were severely understaffed, so they made a secret exception. <laughs> she says in parentheses, major red flag, but that's besides the point, I guess. It was Saturday night, so our reservation book was completely stacked, and I was juggling a full section the whole shift. And it was my first week. Woof. Oh, that feeling. Yeah. And you're 17. Like, this <sighs> is the, the whole time I'm like, and you're fucking 17 years old. Okay. One of the tables I had was an eight top, and seven of them were, for the most part, easygoing and polite. One of them was an absolute asshole, just an old, crotchety man that gets off on verbally abusing teenage girls, I guess. Of course, he was the one picking up the entire bill, so I had been really trying to make sure everything went smoothly and keep my cool whenever he'd said something rude and condescending, which was pretty much every time I approached the table. Jesus. He'd bought a lot of alcohol for the table, and they were downing it like crazy the whole evening. An hour or so later, their food had come and gone with no huge issue, and they seemed like they just wanted to drink and talk for a while, so I gave them space and figured I was in the clear. All of a sudden, a lady at another table across the restaurant fell out of her chair onto the floor. She was holding onto her chest and was short of breath, but she wasn't choking or anything, so we figured she was probably having a heart attack. 
The bartender was outside taking a smoke break along with two of the other servers. So the servers whose table it was told me to call an ambulance while she tried her very best to take care of the lady. The manager, here we go, was God knows where. So I'm over on the phone calling for an ambulance and freaking out, thinking this lady was actually going to die in front of me my first week on the job. I look across the room as I'm on the phone and I see the asshole guy from my table waving at me frantically and then pointing to his empty wine glass. Oh, my God. <laughs> that, that's a, was it Donald man, Trump? Was it, was it truly <laughs> if Donald Trump drank? Anyways. I ignored him, obviously, and after about 10 minutes, the ambulance got there and took over the situation. The lady made it, by the way. I go back over to my table, profusely apologize for taking so long. I shouldn't have even had to apologize, by the way. And I explained the reason why I had to dip for a few minutes, although that also should have been obvious. This piece of human garbage looks at me and says, so you couldn't have gotten someone else to take care of us in the meantime? Wow. I stood with my mouth open for probably forever, just completely shocked that he could be so indifferent about someone almost dying one table over. I don't even think I said anything in response before just walking away to get his refill. He left me no tip on a $250 tab and even told my manager once she reappeared that he was dissatisfied with his service. Sometimes I still wonder if that night even happened because it's so hard to believe that there are people like that that exist in this world. Sorry for the downer story. Y'all are great. Godspeed, good tips, and no Karens. Izzy. Oh, my God. First of all, never apologize. We love these are the stories that need to be told. Like They, they need uppers, to be told. Downers, whatever. Um, Brooke, I don't know if you knew this or not, um, but that was an entire table of Karens, in my opinion. Did you know an entire higher group of Karens the name is they're called a privilege oh like a murder of crows yeah like a murder it's, of crows of a, a privilege, privilege of Karens <laughs> I love it listen this we, poor 17 year old Izzy oh I mean this but I'll tell you what waiting tables at age 17 you'll grow up real fast oh my god yes you grow I, up real fast I think I, I was like I was 18 when I started I'm pretty sure and yeah same thing. You just fucking, you're like, oh, okay, I guess I'm just going to get my ass handed to me while I'm still a teenager and then just like get tough and, you know, know my shit. Because, you know, she said she's eight years in after this. Totally. And she stuck it out and she's a vet. And we salute our veterans of the service industry. We salute you, Izzy. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, did I ever tell you the story um, where my mom saved someone's life at a steakhouse in Omaha? Like a woman went into cardiac arrest at a table over. She like killed over and my mom went into action and got a rhythm, got her pulse back. And like when the EMTs got there, they took over. But then my uh, mother was honored by the city of Omaha for saving the wow. woman's life. Wow. Yeah. Sue. I know. Sue. I know. <laughs> I just, so that story triggered that. So my mama saved a lady in a restaurant once. It's so good. My mom is also a nurse, but she just has really bad stories of choking on steak a bunch oh, no. of times. <laughs> so she said she the saved her own life. She did save her own life. Good job, I guess. Next story, guys. Hello, I'm a huge fan. Love the pod. The first pod I've ever sent money to. Thank you very much. Thanks. I'm 33 and I've been in the industry since my first job at 16 making pot belly sandwiches. Sandwich shops count, right? Of course they count. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah, no doy. Anyway, I've done everything from bar backing to my current job as a pastry cook, uh, and I'm a lifer. Fuck yeah. Here's one of my stories. I worked as a server for one year at a very popular vegan diner in Chicago. Uh, this job also ruined front of house for me. <laughs> I also, it's obvious what place this is. Um, one time I had a one top who seemed chill. He ordered our messiest dish, the ruin, and after a few minutes of eating it, he was covered in various sauces. <laughs> I quickly grabbed a couple of napkins to run to his aid and be proactive, obviously. He looked at me and said, <clears throat> and I have to do this, imagine, an, an, imagine Wallace from Princess Bride. I didn't ask for these! <laughs> That's like my best Wallace Shawn. Inconceivable! That's what this guy said. I quickly apologized and took the napkins uh, and threw them out since they touched the table. He called me back over and asked, why did you throw those out? I couldn't put them back since they touched your table, admittedly, I said. Uh, and I'm being a little snippy because my section is full and food is in the window, but I apologized and I moved on. As I drop his check, he says, 
you know, I didn't become a vegan for my health. I feel like I should have a little bit of a lift. <laughs> you know, I didn't become a vegan for my health. Uh, obviously, as this isn't a healthy restaurant. No, it's not. Um, I became a vegan for the world. He's screaming at this point. And I don't know why you would give me a stack of napkins I didn't ask for and throw them away. <laughs> why couldn't you at least recycle them? Sorry. Am I doing well? Hey, sorry. Hey, is this a Garcetti impression? <laughs> They're very close. I'm trying to remain calm, but I'm pissed at this point. Actually, I'm sorry, but I did recycle them. And then he demands to see a manager. Long story short, he got comped and I got written up for my attitude. <laughs> I didn't last much longer after that as my managers didn't have my back in any situation. Eventually, I got fired for telling my manager to go fuck himself. <laughs> But that's kind of quitting, too. It's a little toss-up. <laughs> uh-huh. It's like, yeah, I think when you do that, it's like, you're fired. It's like, well, didn't I just tell you to go fuck yourself? So, yeah, obviously, I quit. That's <laughs> it. I have many more that I'll try to submit uh, from my time bartending, karaoke hosting in Old Town. Oh, my God. We'd love to hear about yes. that. But that's it for today. Thanks for the pod uh, and encourage everyone to organize. I finally have a union job, and I'm <gasps> amazed at what it's like to have rights. Hell Andrew. yeah. Andrew. Andrew, yes. fuck yes. Yep. We want to, we got to put our minds to it. We're talking to some of our listeners who are local and we're going to get organized. I know then, what restaurant that is because it's in Chicago and a, that tempeh Reuben is fucking delicious. But yeah, I think anytime, Brooke, you worked at a vegan restaurant, you know the types that come in. I wrote back to him the email and I was just like, we, we, we got to have a chat. You know, <laughs> I feel like there's just a pain. Have we only... done it? I don't think we've done a vegan episode. No, have we? And oh, it's, boy. It's time to talk about it. It's just <laughs> it's been painful. There are so many tales of celebridum and vegan eating and entitled Long Island's women coming in saying, I just want something with zero calories. Oh, yeah. I mean, to add on another story on tack on this and like my brain is like going deep into my memory banks today. Wallace Shawn, who is in Princess Bride, who, mm -hmm. you know, plays. Inconceivable. Um, I had a friend that worked at the Chelsea Diner in New York for a while, um, and Wallace Shawn was a regular there, and I'm a huge Wallace Shawn fan because he's a great playwright, mm -hmm. and my friend Brandon had uh, Wallace Shawn write me at a postcard, and then he mailed it to me, and so Wallace hey. Shawn. I know. This is all really coming full circle. That's really inconceivable. Um, well, guys, if you have uh, stories like Andrew, like Izzy, amazing stories, Sometimes up or sometimes down or we don't care. We love them all. Send them our way. Yeah. Just drop them uh, off either in our DM. A little harder to write that way. But you can also uh, use our email. Sideworkpod at gmail.com. Okay. Well, so we are back in uh, revisiting last week's topic of discrimination in the service industry because uh, God knows that can't be covered in 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah. I think we just got like a really good taste from Q and hit some points uh, that we wanted to talk about, but like her story just stood on its own. It did. Um, and, 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 and there are so many more stories like it. So it's, it's, it's so great that she's out there fucking calling people out, calling people out. And yeah, I think it was really important also to hear someone like very willingly, uh, giving us a firsthand account of the shit that she has had to deal with uh, at her restaurant job as a, as a woman and person of color. Uh, the old double whammy in this yeah. field of work. So, yeah, we kind of wanted to just come back and help, like, because we're learning a lot of this as we go as well. We feel like that's our job and maybe our sweet spot in this fight, you know, to really kind of like dismantle racism, to really push for police reform, to look at our own white fragility. By the way, I am listening to the audiobook of White Fragility. Uh -huh. And the voice they chose sounds like the GPS woman. The entire book, I was like, I can't listen to this. Am I white like, and fragile? It turns out you're racist too. Take a right at. Racist in, Avenue. In 300 feet, realize your own implicit biasy. Like, is she, it something like, like that? Her voice, it like sounds like the embodiment of white privilege. It's the worst oh, no. voice I've. It doesn't even sound like a person. Weird. Anyways, had to get that off my chest. So I'm, you know, we're out here trying to do our homework, do our best. But I feel like Andrea, you and me, like I think our sweet spot 
where we can make a change and educate ourselves and teach others is at this cross-section of uh, the restaurant industry and the racism and inequitable practices that it's built on. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the deeper you dive into this, you're just like, holy shit. I think with anything else, like, you know, there are so many systems out there that need to be dismantled. So yes, Brooke, this is our bread and butter anyway, as far as what we're into. So why wouldn't we just fight to change it and make it better and safer for everybody involved? Absolutely. So I feel like, uh, you know, that you all will really benefit from learning facts that you probably felt in your bones, you know, were going on, but you can never put a finger on anything in the service industry because it's just so spread out. There's no uniformity. There's no protection. It's, as we've said from the get-go, this is a service run by criminal owners Hmm. who mistreat everybody. Um, But yeah, to go back from like our tipping episode, when we had Quaylen on, I do think it's really important and bears repeating um, because we did a we did a webinar with One Fair Wage who mm-hmm. really thinks it's important that people know like the entire system of tipping was based on the oppression of recently freed black people mm-hmm. so that they didn't have to pay them a wage when they joined the workforce. Yep. That's where tipping comes from. And then you just relying on customers to then tip these people. Um, and then it, and then it's just another form of oppression to be like uh, to barely tip them to tip them big just to be like you know to to give it someone's personal fucking preference on how much of a human being this person is in their eyes it's crazy it's crazy and to just be like they are going to a full 10 or 12 hour workday like anyone else and they could come away with nobody tipping them all day and that in it in and of itself is a form of slavery still yeah you and, know and, and again to reiterate uh it was zero dollars an hour there was no base minimum no. wage no there was that, no 213 like, no they took, didn't even have that it took uh, like a hundred years to get there right and that hasn't budged since 1991 right and we also learned um in this one fair wage meeting that when the national average regular minimum wage went up there was a deal that was made with the nra the other NRA, the National Restaurant Association, that that stayed the same so the other one could go up. And we're also talking about the restaurant industry always being the most jobs produced, a growing industry when it comes to employment more and more every year. So think about all those people just getting fucked. Right, right. And so when you think about, you know, how the origins of the restaurant industry and this like tip earning society, it it trickles down, you know, to be the least equitable for, um, you know, black and and Latinx people generally in this industry, but it still poisons the well for all of us in all the ways, you know, that we've been really wronged by this industry. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so we want to talk about how we can build more racial equity. But before we do that, we have to look at all the ways there has been discrimination in the restaurant industry from day one. Let's kind of jump into the stuff we've learned. Um, Great. All right. So in terms of working in the restaurant, that has its own set of ways that the discrimination is like very, very obvious, you Mm -hmm. know, and I think we can all look at how like front of house is generally all white Mm -hmm. and back of house. It's like a dividing line where it's like, and these are where the brown people are, you know? Right, right. Uh, And so basically what we've learned is that occupational segregation by race has emerged as one of the highest priority challenges faced by those who work in this restaurant industry nationwide. And so a lot of these stats are from um, ROC, which is the Restaurant Occupational Center. And that's United. Yes. United. Uh, So so they have been doing the work and have been documenting um, racial discrimination and occupational segregation in the restaurant uh, industry, which of course reveals like racial wage gaps and yeah these oh huge, yeah yeah huge barriers to people of color to advance to living wage jobs you know completely and, i mean roc and also one for wage it's been over a decade they've been doing this which is fucking yeah. awesome um you know because restaurants the restaurants come in all shapes and sizes you know like so you've got like the diner waitress who isn't making much an hour not to mention 70 70 percent of the workforce are women right like, yes 
who are in tipped positions. Um, and we can get into that whole onslaught of discrimination separately in a moment. Um, but you've got fine dining, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's a very white, like we said, um, crisp, uh, look your best kind of it's, profession. It's got, that, it's got that guy dining who's going to let the woman fall over and have a heart attack and complain that he didn't get a wine refill. That mm-hmm. sort of yeah. situation. And that establish, establishes this two-tiered system, right? Where you have kind of like the lower paying tip jobs and then the higher paying. And most of the statistics that we've read and we're saying to you now is that people of color are pushed out of these top tier tipping positions to begin with. Um, There's no welcome mats. There's no draw to say we are open. We don't discriminate. We, we want to hire people, you know, of color that doesn't happen. It it just doesn't. It's, it's rare and it's improving, but there has to be uh, intentional, um, wanting to improve because it, it doesn't just happen on its own. So, yeah. right, there's that level of working. Um, and then there's like more like your family style where you can probably, you know, for a four, like a four person adult sort of dinner is like a hundred dollar check or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that still has its separation with less access um, to the best positions and the best shifts mm-hmm. um, for black people. And again, the tier really exists. Um, and then there's the quick serve, which is like going to uh, like a Panera, going to a fast food, going to a Chick-fil-A or something like that. Mm-hmm. And this this mode of working is what is the most populated by people of color Mm -hmm. and only 26% of white restaurant workers in these positions. And the disparity between the money is crazy. Like when it averages out like $15 an hour for a fine dining worker, you know, plus all the tips, then maybe 12 to, you know, $12 and 13 cents for family style workers and just $8 and 50 cents for quick serve workers, which we know they do not get tips in a lot of these places. Yeah. Well, you know, and what we're seeing is this big wage gap from like getting more if you're white, less if you're black. Um, even if it's like a, if, so what was, what were they talking about at the meeting? A 5 15 hour difference as far as tips, right? Um, at the moment, it's 10 to 15 hour, to $10 to $15. That's a huge difference. Huge jump. And that can, uh, for a lifetime loss in work, add up to $650,000. In for a like, and this is this is specifically for like a black woman, mm-hmm. like what? Well, like, that a white man, at in a top tier position, in average in a lifetime, will out earn a black woman by six hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Yep. When you look at that, that's owning a home, mm-hmm. having a retirement in place, putting kids through college. Putting, exactly. All of that is available more readily to you know white people in high fine, you know, like high position fine dining. And so the thing that we were finding is that black people are just fully locked out of fine dining. Yep. Because, and it makes sense when you think about it, because when we were listening, listening to people talk about it, it's just like, kids, like say in New York City, for example, like someone who's like young looking for a job and you know, they're like coming down from Harlem into then as you come down, I mean, it's, it's, this is not me being um, like minimizing it. It's the truth. Once you're up in like the hundreds in Harlem, it's a very like historically black area of Manhattan and the whole like mid city and everything that's, you know, meant for all the fine dining, richy rich worldwide extravagant tourists and that kind of fine dining people from black neighborhoods are like yeah I can't even go in and ask for an application like I get shooed out and also I don't want to wait on people who I don't recognize or but these could be such great opportunities but like you said there is no olive branch or hand being extended or diversity hiring practices in place saying we encourage and want and welcome you and we are committed to providing diversity within our hiring practice. And that's what One Fair Wage, this this seminar that we were able to be a part of, they have a toolkit where you can actually put and implement all these. Um, So, And we've used this term before and we'll continue to use it. So implicit bias. So implicit bias is how the U.S. specifically um, and a lot of other parts in the world, they are, it's how it's, our brains have been built to be racist. When we think about fine dining, we think about only white servers we think about you know it's basically what we're presented with every day and 
consciously or subconsciously, like whether you think it's wrong, it's like where your fucking brain goes to because we've all been trained to believe this shit. Right. And like the thing is like, and I think a big part of realizing with, you know, just, just being born into systems that we have maybe in our minds never actively did anything to oppress or hurt someone. Right. So like this isn't our fault, but it's our responsibility to do better. So I think therapy 101, right? It's Yeah. Yeah, it's not your fault, but it's up to you to to be better. And yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. Um, so yeah, this this toolkit that, and it's just a starter point, mm-hmm. which is great. Even though as HR, you know, I'm sure a lot of companies are like, well, our handbook states that we're not discriminating, and you know, it's like, but you're not practicing what you fucking preach, right? Right. That's what it comes down to. It's like, yes, legally, you might have something written. It, it, just so you can't get in is, trouble that the yeah, most you're because doing it's the law. exactly you know? <laughs> yeah right when the most you're doing is trying to not get a suit filed against you like that's not trying mm-hmm. that's just trying to save your ass you know so this is all very real and i'm sure any of you can recognize this within your own workplace maybe depending where you currently work but like i in my entire career working at an a range of restaurants I had so few black co-waiters literally like two in 15 years Um, at another place that was super fine dining but I hated that place so much we had like a, a black floor manager and like maybe one other black server and then yeah I worked with a black bartender named Jared who was awesome um but like that's kind of where it ends and this is me working in some of the most diverse cities imaginable chicago new york and la and it's just lacking it's all white people Mm -hmm. oh yeah for sure i mean and then we could you know we don't need to get into like uh segregation gentrification like these are all other things that are that are that are pushing this this already fucked up system to just keep on chugging you know right so then to look at it again further you know obviously i i'm not going to speak on behalf um of, of a black female server so i have an article written um by a really passionate black server um named jamie cook who's from atlanta and she wrote this for WeRepair.org. um it's an article about racial disparity food equity in american restaurant Uh, the industry so basically like in her own words you know as a black woman she says like many of my black colleagues I've experienced harassment on three levels and a lot of this you're going to recognize from what Q had to say she said first I've often worked for management that displays anti-black bias in their rules around dress and their double standards around conduct the perception is reality philosophy used against many black people who cook and serve we can be deemed quote-unquote too black if we talk a certain way look a certain way or wear our hair in African styles, you know, like because we, like I said, there's so much dis- discrimination against black hair mm-hmm. where the, the, the go-to is like, you need to have your hair flat ironed and present white, you know, mm-hmm. basically she's like, if we're caught not smiling for a second too long, we're perceived immediately to, to have attitudes. And there's all this unconscious bias that's extremely dangerous. And basically in the restaurant industry, what she says, it costs hardworking black workers their income yep your bias is causing them to not be able to make ends meet yeah because of bias um so then she says it's more realistic that black workers are going to face tip harassment um the american restaurant industry like we said one of the largest and fastest growing sectors of the economy employing nearly 10 percent of the american workforce that's fucking bonkers isn't that crazy but mm-hmm. yet it's also the lowest paying industry with the highest proportion of workers earning yeah. wages at or below the federal minimum. Yep. Oh, God. And so for black workers consistently going through tip harassment, the wage is even lower. And it's already pathetically low. So basically, you know, she she poses that a solution would be for management to recognize patterns of customer bias against black servers and compensate them when tips are lower than a standard percentage of sales. Um, you know, and she says, unfortunately, that her sales often outweigh what she's actually being tipped. Wow. God, you know. And then also she says, third, we experience harassment from coworkers who were allowed to express their disdain for serving black families who are wrongly stereotyped about for not tipping before the check even hits the table. 
tipping yeah. in her. Yep. And we know we've. That's I, a, I mean, since I feel like since day one of waiting tables, that was just something that was like tossed in my face. And I was like, yep. wait, what? Like, yep. Oh, it, black it, people don't tip. Yeah. I've heard that so many times. And, you know, I was just like, I'm not going to go in there expecting it, but you get it in your head. Right. And especially because like, you know how it is working with your coworkers. Everyone's griping. It's just about the money. Mm -hmm. And you start looking for the table that you think is going to be your biggest cash cow. And then you try and pass off tables where you're like, I don't want uh, this black family in my section. You go take them. I was always the person taking all the tables that people were being total assholes about. I was like, that's fucking crazy. It's so nuts. I mean, and and again, it, it like discrimination is coming from all points of view. The customers are doing it to the servers. The servers are doing it to the customers. Like it's it's all crazy, right? And so when you talk again about that implicit bias, or in the way I've tried to. Um, describe it is it's a self-fulfilling prophecy if you tell yourself as a server that the black family's not going to tip you and then therefore you don't try hard and you give them a bad experience you're not going to get a great tip therefore mm-hmm. reinforcing your shitty fucking belief system yep um, you're just, yeah yeah if you're if you're going to be if you're going to think shitty i don't know i i have a problem with this generally as someone who is a positive and i'm always like level playing field no matter what let's just everybody's the same let's fucking go like as and i think that's something i learned from years and years of bartending and waiting tables it's like well why wouldn't why aren't we equals and that and that's another thing too like not just even the deeper discriminatory issues we're talking about today but just the general thinking that someone who comes in that you are in charge of getting them food and drink thinks that they're above you period right yeah so this is all very very real and I think we can all like take a moment to reflect on what we've seen in our Mm -hmm. own workspaces and you know we haven't really specifically gotten into how there's just a whole other level that is recognized by everyone which is also like hispanic or people uh, fighting for citizen um citizenship status are just full-on exploited yeah. and that's a whole other layer of you know discrimination um that is uh, basically super unlawful you know but it's a system where they can hold people's paychecks because they'll be like oh i'm gonna report you to ice yep so how about you come in and wash those dishes for free my friend and we've, we've talked about stories like that in the past where we've had like yeah you know, we, 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 there, we talked about dishwashers who were the, like some of the best people I'll ever work with show up every time on, on work every single day, work yep. 60 hour weeks, yep. never fucking take a day off because there's like this fear mm-hmm. implemented in, in, in the industry, you know, it really, and I think talking about this at, and I, I hope, you know, you guys just know, like, this is just the information that we're finding and we're just bringing it to light. Like, no one's coming down on anybody except for the system that we're all part of. Right. You know, and right. we're hoping that you, everybody, we just want everybody's eyes to be open. 100%. And so, you know, from that point, so there are systems in place that are trying to address and do sort of like racial sensitivity training um, for anyone to work in their restaurant. And that that involves being able to have Um, uncomfortable conversations and just Mm -hmm. being out with it and to talk about you know white privilege versus a black experience and to talk with each other about it and there's this um, program called uh, busboys and poets you know which really tries to teach white servers and servers of other colors what it is like to walk uh, in, a, in a black customer's shoes in terms of how to treat them where, you know, I thought it was really interesting when we were listening to um, this guy, Andy Shalal talk is that, you know, uh, a black customer, you know, a, bl- a black couple comes in, right? It's uh, pretty early in the night. There's like your pick of the restaurant, right? And so you have to sometimes stop and ins- like, and, and pause for a minute where you might think, hey, this is racial profiling, or this is me being racist, it's not. It's trying to stop and understand the way this couple might view what you're about to do. And the example was, say that there's like this really roomy, you know, booth that's in the back corner. If you are going to take them to that table furthest away, like from the window, 
being seen, they might perceive that as a slight, as being like, what are you doing? Like tucking us away? Like, you know, whereas mm-hmm. they might really want the two top in the window, mm-hmm. you know, to be seen. Whereas like maybe like white customers are like, ooh, 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 like we want that cave back there. And um, that, yeah, like a black, black patrons could potentially take it as like a, you are trying to tuck us out of sight. Yeah, you're putting us in the back of the mm-hmm. bus of the restaurant. Yeah, exactly. Like it's fucking, yeah, triggering. Everything's triggering. Like, especially when the system's built against you, you know? Right. Like, so, like, right, like the experience of discrimination as a black customer is also something very real. Um, where, like, like we said, just the, the rumor, um, you know, that uh, black customers don't tip, uh, you know, that like they're getting the worst seat or maybe being made to wait longer because if you've got a super racist you know concierge host whatever like yeah of course they're being assholes and running the restaurant based on who they deem to be most desirable in terms of um customers they want in there and so another way that the restaurant and bar industry has openly been getting away with discrimination is dress codes yeah dress codes are such horse shit Unless you're a country club, the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Like, yeah. and yeah. So it's pretty, I mean, I really hope this goes the way, you know, of the dinosaur as well, while we're just like tearing down all this shit. But you might oh have my seen, God. yeah, you know, you guys may have seen this story. This happened just at like roughly a week ago. Um, but a customer, her name's Martha Grant. Uh, this was in Baltimore, went with her nine-year-old son Dallas uh, to it was called the Uzo Bay restaurant and they were waiting for a seat on the outdoor terrace um, and then a tie and mask wearing host told told them that he was very sorry but Dallas's t-shirt and shorts didn't meet the restaurant's dress code so then she turned on her video camera of course and he was dressed exactly like a nine-year-old boy wearing a black t-shirt and a pair of black shorts and sneakers and she pointed then right over as a white family left with the same nine-year-old like you know age range a nine-year-old boy in the same attire leaving and she points it out Mm -hmm. you know and she's saying why does that kid get to wear athletic wear and my son can't um and she's just asking like why is this different from my son like this shit is so traumatizing and Mm -hmm. it's so double standard it means we want reasons to say no to black people Mm -hmm. it's really what these dress codes mean because all of this like your pants must be fitted on your waist bullshit Mm -hmm. is so restaurants trying to be like we don't want any black people who could possibly represent anything that resembles a thug yeah you know like white people were allowed to wear ed hardy for years and (laughs) oh can we talk about how like the more and more these creepy not to ass- be discriminatory but i just want to say no no ed hardy alone <laughs> let's just yeah he's he's just awful can we ag- agree across the board that anyone who wears it, ed look hardy- if i take heat for it i don't i don't own a restaurant so the rules aren't in place but if i had one that might be a rule one day totally you know and again this this is a dividing line to say that we don't um we don't accept uh, you need to whiten up if you want to be in this club. Uh, the whole like white is right sort of thing, completely diminishing a culture that is known for fashion and style yeah. and yeah. like absolutely a mix with like more athletic and cool. Like, like it's just like totally get the fuck out of here. Not everyone yeah, wants to look here, like sure. a Daryl with his fucking Brooks brother tucked into his pleated high waisted khakis that guy mm-hmm. looks like an asshole yeah you know and, and, and like why and that, that just makes me like you know like your dad shows up in like a shitty golf shirt of that, course like, like a polo then then that's considered to be like and again cool you know where to and, get and, in and probably crocs which you know just really blisters my but this is just like the best way for people to hide behind um the legality the so-called legality of denying entrance uh or you know patronage by just saying okay n- no baggy clothing no athletic no brimless headgear backwards or if your head is on sideways uh-uh you're not coming in and it's like hey can we talk about white guys wearing fedoras you know while we're at it like if we're really going to start nitpicking Hat choices. Yeah, I really you do know? want to start. Can you imagine wearing an Ed Hardy shirt and a fedora? Right. <laughs> oh God. And then you. You also. We've had uh, listeners write in that 
you've got these like really crazy racist owners who like if black customers come in, they're like, get their IDs before you serve them and are doing shit like running background checks on them before they can even sit down and order a drink or an app. And so like this kind of shit does is does not happen to white people. And so when we see it in our places of work and employment, like call that shit out you know put them on blast because it's working I mean Mm -hmm. like you might not change this person's mind about their racism but you can at least get them to fucking stop Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. um so I think that's a lot of bad news I think that's all recognizable but heavy 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 heavy. it's it's really tough stuff and you know I've never been perfect uh in my waiting tables the the whole we've talked about that when you wait you just have like a snap second to just start profiling who's going to give you money or not, you know? Totally. And so, you know, whatever. I've been an ageist. Like, we all hate teenagers. Like, I worked in an Arabic restaurant where everyone, all the Middle, Middle Eastern co-workers I had mm-hmm. hated people from India. Yeah, I was we've like, talked about uh, single diners. Yeah. You know, these are things we've talked about. But yeah, it's true. It's, we've all fucking been there and then we've all done that. But I think... I don't know. I don't want to be like, and I've, I've never, I don't want to say, cause I never have have a moment where I'm like, right. I'm very surprised that I got a good tip from somebody like that's never happened to me. No, I just, no. I just do my job, you right. know? Exactly. And I'm certainly not saying that like, I, I don't have to do work. We all have to do work. Like, you know, I just, I just feel like, yeah. Well, and that's I think that thought. again, to reiterate, that's like the whole point is that just because we're not doing it doesn't mean we can't have these painful conversations correct so i think that's what's important and it and it hurts to say that out loud that like of course i've categorized someone in the past and i think the group that it falls on the most is is people of color so Mm -hmm. it's it's just got to be changed so the good news is restaurants are trying to put more racial equity into their establishments starting from the top down which is what Q was discussing with us last week too, like it's got to start at corporate level, more women and people of color in there making decisions that can represent more of their coworkers, you know, Mm -hmm. and the people who work for them and under them. Um, So there was a really great uh, food and wine article that uh, I researched. And again, a lot of these people, the restaurant opportunity centers, what did I call it? Oh my God. I call it, it, called it, Something stupid. Anyway, it's Restaurant Opportunity Centers United. Um, basically, they've, like we said, they have this whole approach and sort of a kit for eliminating implicit bias by developing the equity from the top. And so, you know, a lot of owners and places, um, you know, that we work at and recognize are doing the work to um, put in the time and they're doing things like a management team that will include women and people of color, like we said. Standardized interview questions designed to determine values and general competence rather than filter for similar experience and looking for like, because it's just going to keep breeding the same group of like hipster white fine dining people, you know, Mm -hmm. if you only want the resume versus looking for values and competence, right? So it's important that multiple managers are interviewing and reviewing employees to combat personal bias, which happens so easily in the restaurant industry. We all know when that one manager has it out for us. Oh, yes. So basically robust training programs that don't assume shared cultural understandings, talking about the differences, getting an education, opening your eyes, you know, um, and then you could do detailed objective reviews that can lead to advancement, which is this big, big door that needs to be unlocked for people of color to not just have to be the busser, you know, or back of house that mm-hmm. if they're a great hard worker and interested in moving to a place of being server and then eventually a floor manager or a bartender, that they have these abilities to move up within a Mm -hmm. system and restaurant that supports them and wants them to advance yes um restaurants start to need to start providing an equitable wage structure with a living wage yes so many people are not getting by on their restaurant jobs no no And, and, and you know even and now we talk about this every fucking week like how much people are struggling now that restaurants are shut down now that bars are shut down and we've talked about it before but i think like People who work in restaurants uh, are, I think they're, is it 30 to 50% more likely to be on food stamps working in the restaurant industry? Yeah. And, and again, this is probably 
you're looking at some of your, you know, like your IHOP waitresses or what have you, um, where that's just like the lower tier. And also I think the nice thing is, is it's these top level restaurants that are trying to implement this. But to be honest, the, the people and employees who are slipping through the cracks the most are your IHOP employees, are your diner workers, yeah. where they have owners and management who are not going to change anything. So how do we, how how does ROC, how does One Fair Wage get out into the entire, you know, workforce to the lower tiers of serving and um, service industry? And, you know, it, again, this is why I'm a big fan of like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and other yeah, people. Man. Who can help standardize, you know, a fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage for Absolutely. all of these jobs? And then guess what? You still fucking tip on top. Yes, of you that. do. Yes, and you that do. would be that. And that's just going to be how it is. We talk about one of the points to uh, help lead to advancement, you know, and we have talked about how successful that is in Vegas, where there's unions, mm-hmm. where you are set up for success because you are a part of an organization that want you to succeed. You know, think about if we could really get this ball rolling um, and, and how grateful you would be to be like, oh my God, I, I mean, I just thought I wanted, to, I, was a, I was a busser when I was a kid or whatever because I just thought that was it just to make some money and here I am 10 years later because I'm part of a union and I get a fair wage where now I make $80,000 an hour yes. because I was pushed up to the top an and I hour? was trained. They make $80,000 an no, hour? No, no. Did Andrew? I say that? I mean, the, I'm shooting for the moon. Yeah, girl. Uh, a year. Yes, of course. But I think I'm just, I'm just, I'm very impassioned at the moment. Yes, you I'm are. Just, words are just spilling out of because my mouth. That not, not everyone's going to make sense. <laughs> because it's disgusting. What we do is hard very hard work it breaks down the body we get emotionally abused obviously there are a ton of perks why which is why we keep coming back to these jobs but the idea that we should be happy living in poverty because they haven't changed the minimum wage for 30 years Mm -hmm. and it's it's not right why can't someone who works as hard as someone else at a dumb desk job where let's be honest they're on facebook all day what do they fucking do (laughs) you know that right that you can't have a more respectful yearly income around 50 or 60 grand that is life-changing that would double your income sometimes there are two like a double earning family especially like you know in latino communities where we said they're in these terrible positions of being paid at the lowest wage that it's like a double earning income is like thirty thousand dollars total and you probably like are supporting a family and maybe sending money back home to your family in mexico or whatever like people don't deserve to live this way and there's a reason people are like fuck yeah 600 extra dollars in unemployment it's the best anyone's ever lived and that should be alarming that $600 a week is as good as it's going to get for some people. I know. I know. So, um, you guys, I know this was like definitely, uh, like not (laughs) an indiscrimination, usually hilarious, but (laughs) we want to just show you guys our commitment to learning and doing better and to help all of us be better. Um, in in this industry that we love and to lift up all people and to really push for change. So, you know, we're, we promise the, the funnier, goofier, lighter stuff is right around the corner, but you got to do some of this hard stuff before you get to the goodies. Yeah. And, you know, and like Brooke said, as we continue to do this work and dive deeper, we'll put it out there, but don't, don't worry. We're also going to, there's going to be plenty of yucks. There's always going to be yucks. You guys more yucks, you know, more, more yucks. yucks. Doy. Doy. Doy more yucks. Guys, thanks for listening to our TED Talk. Um, We appreciate it (laughs) so much. And we will definitely see you next week. Thanks, as always, for supporting and listening. And you know what we say. Godspeed. And good tips. Good health. And good fight. Bye-bye.